You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Grab a seat wherever you can find one. There's still some spots there on the first step. You can sit there. All right. Great, great, great. Okay. Here's my first question. You got your listening ears on? Whoop, put them on. Great. Okay. I'm going to ask a question. I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have ever been skiing. Has anyone ever been skiing? Raise your hand. Okay, good. We've got some people. Yeah, snowboarding counts. If you've ever been to a ski resort to go snowboarding or skiing, great. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, if you have been to a ski resort for snowboarding or skiing, raise your hand and tell me how you got up the mountain, right? Because you start at the bottom of the mountain. How did you get up? Yeah, Marnie. Okay, a lift. What kind of lift? Someone tell me the kind of lift you Yeah, Ben. Okay, ski lift. Like, what, what, what did it look like? How did you get up the mountain? Yeah, Hatcher. A big chair. Maybe it was a chair lift. And then it had like a cable. With a cable. Okay, good. Any, yeah, chair lift. Anyone go on something other than a chair lift? There are different ways to get up the mountain. Yeah, Sally. bubble thing we call those like a gondola right yeah okay those are the main ways to get up a ski lift I want to tell you a story about one time I was at a ski resort and I was getting on the chairlift and I need I'm going to need a volunteer to help act this out a little bit so let me see um no I think Hudson might be a little too big for this one um Mac come on come on down you don't want to anymore man call on you and everything um, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, you. Come on. Come on down. Make room. Let Lydia through. Okay. So I need you to stand next to me. What we're going to act out here is we're going to act out like we're getting on a chairlift, okay? Because what happened to me was I was on a chairlift, and I, I had a lot of trouble getting on the chairlift, okay? So here, you stand here. Have you ever been on a chairlift? Okay, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Actually, you guys teach me. So if the chairlift is coming, what do you, what do, you do to get ready for the chairlift? Yeah, Ben. You bend? Okay, so you bend, bend your knees a little bit. And what else do you do? Anything, anyone else? What else do you do? It's like a moving chair. A chair is going to come right behind you. So you like reach back, right? You reach back. No, you don't. You just take, you just take it. The chair just comes and picks you up. Well, here's the way we're going to do it. We're going to reach back. So the chair's coming, and you're going to reach back like you're going to sit on it, okay? But what happened to me when I was on the ski lift, I slipped off the edge of the chair. And I was about to fall down, but this random person next to me, you got to bend down, you're not bending down. Okay, bend down. Okay, and you're looking back for that chair, but then you're about to fall. He grabbed me right here by the shoulder. I was wearing a coat, and he picked me up and pulled me up and set me in the chairlift. He rescued me from that disaster. 
Let's give Lydia a hand. Okay, thanks for helping me out. You can go back and sit down. Here's why I wanted to tell you this story. It's an example in my life of a time when I was rescued, okay? Because if, if that guy hadn't grabbed my shoulder and pulled me up in the chairlift, who knows where I'd be today, right? He rescued me. And, th and the reason I was thinking about that, the reason I was thinking about that is because we're talking about the Bible right now, a story of rescue. It's called Exodus. Has anyone heard of Exodus? Does anyone know what happened in the Bible story of the Exodus? Yes, Savannah. It's, a, it's the second book of the Bible. Good, Chapin, you want to help tell the story a little bit? Great, let's stop there, because you could probably go on for a while. That was good. Two, two things. Moses parted the Red Sea, and he rescued God's people from Egypt, where they were in slavery. It was a story of great rescue. We've been talking about that. And as we've talked about that, it's made us think of another great rescue story in the Bible. It's the story of Jesus rescuing us. Can someone raise their hand and tell me how Jesus rescues us? Yeah, Will. Exactly. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us. And what did he rescue us from? What did Jesus rescue us from? Yeah, Wolfie. Sin. Yeah, he, he rescued us from sin. And from the punishment for sin, death. And so that's why we're talking about rescue in church. So I'm going to pray for us, but as I continue to give the rest of the sermon, I want you to listen for how I talk about rescue. And you remember what we talked about here, okay? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads and we'll pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Help us to know that rescue and to be people who are shaped by your great rescue of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Miss Catherine's going to hand out some um, children's worship guides that you can take back to your seats. If you want one of those, grab them and then head back to your parents, okay? Thank you very much. All right, make sure you get um, a clipboard if you want one. All right, as the uh, kids are getting set and heading back to their chairs, I need to start with a little, um, a little correction from last week. If you were here, I need to apologize to you all. When I got home uh, after the sermon last week, I realized that uh, multiple times during the sermon, I mispronounced the word drowning. And what I also discovered when I got home was how much that bothered many people. At least in my family, I won't speak for all of you. Um, but I, I have been corrected, you know, those of you who've been around City Church for a while know that it's not the first time I've mispronounced a word. Um, there was a time I was alluding to the song uh, Happy by Virginia Beach's Farrell Williams, as I called him. Um, <laughs> that wasn't quite right. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning this lesson. I'm going to be very careful next, next month. February. I will, I will say... The word's right. I know that when I mispronounce things, it's a surprise to many of you, especially if you've been to my office, because you see all those books, right? And you think, how can this guy with that many books mispronounce words? But it, it happens. Um, you know, the real question that I get asked when people come into my office and they see my bookshelves is they say, well, have you read all of those books? 
To which the reply always is, some of them more than once, right? <laughs> that one's a slow burn. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. Some of you on the way home, it's okay. Um, but there's one in particular book on my bookshelf that I have read more than once. And in fact, I was rereading parts of it this past week. And it's a book called Heart of a Soldier. And it tells the story of a man named Rick Rescorla. And I was rereading it because it's a, it's a rescue story. Rick Rescorla was uh, the head of security for Morgan Stanley. And their office was in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And he was there on September 11th. And in fact, due to the, the planning that he had done ahead of time, due to his clear-headedness and, and uh, due to his courage, he was able to help escort 2,700 employees of Morgan Stanley out of the South Tower to safety on that morning, September 11th, 2001. As I went back and reread this book, Heart of a Soldier, what struck me was how little of the story was actually about September 11th. It wasn't about the rescue on that day. The book was actually much more focused on the events that prepared Rick Rescorla to act with bravery and clear-headedness on that morning. It was about all the forces and all the experience that shaped him in order to provide that rescue. And that morning, after he'd escorted these 2,700 uh, individuals out of the South Tower, he went back. He went back into the stairwell looking for any stragglers from the, the floor where he worked. And that's where he was when the second plane hit the South Tower and it collapsed. I tell that to you because as we turn now to the Bible, we're going to see a similar thing happening. As, we inter as we're introduced to the book of Exodus, we're looking at the forces and the factors that shape Moses into the man who will rescue Egypt, will rescue Israel from Egypt, will bring God's people out of slavery. And we're meant to see these different experiences as shaping him into a man who will be able to deliver that sort of rescue. So I talked about that a little bit around Moses' birth last week, and today we're going to move forward in the story and uh, see some more events that shape him into this sort of rescuer. So if you have a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 22, and these um, verses are also found in the worship guide. You can follow along there. Wherever you're reading from, though, receive this as God's word to us, his people, today. Here's what it says. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong... Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. 
When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would come now by your spirit and make these words come alive. Help us to see um, Moses clearly and through Moses to see our great rescuer, Jesus. And then by your spirit, help us to apply these truths into our lives, that we would live differently, trusting you fully and living for your glory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So today I want to talk about how Moses becomes a rescue-shaped man. And that's what we're meant to see here in the second part of Exodus chapter 2. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, and we learn from Acts 7, the passage that Ansley read for us, that uh, he was 40 years old. In fact, Moses' life, biblically, is kind of broken into three 40-year blocks. The first is the the time he grew up in the the court of Egypt. We learned a little bit about that last week. And today we're going to talk about this second block. It's the time that he spent in Midian. And then the third block is the 40 years where he delivered uh, Israel from Egypt and was in the wilderness. So the the point here, what we learn in verse 11, is that after his 40 years as an Egyptian prince, growing up in the royal house of Egypt, Moses goes out and he looks upon the oppression of his people. And those two verbs are important. Going out and looking upon or visiting would be another way to translate that. Because those are words that are used elsewhere in the Bible to describe God. That God goes out to see the pain and the trouble that his people are in. So right off the bat as we're introduced to this second block of Moses' life, we're meant to see that he is acting like a rescuer. But what we'll also see is that before he can uh, perform the work of rescue for Israel, is that his life must be shaped by rescue. And, and specifically in this passage, in these verses that I read, we'll see that in three ways. We'll see it by his striking, by his shepherding, and by his sojourning. These are the ways that Moses will be formed into a rescue-shaped person. So first, by striking. And that's the, the, the incident that we meet right away in the passage. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And then in verse 12, it says he looked this way and that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. 
You see, Moses sees oppression against his people, the Israelites, and it stirs in him such anger and such passion that he strikes the man down. Why is that important? Well, this word will become important through the rest of Exodus. Moses striking down this Egyptian is a foreshadow of how Moses will strike Egypt itself. Or through Moses, God will strike Egypt with plagues to deliver Israel from the slavery of Pharaoh. In, in verse 14, right after what I've just read, we see how Moses is getting a reputation for himself, right? The very next day, Moses went out, and this time it's two Hebrews who are struggling, two Israelites who are having a conflict. They're in an argument. And Moses seeks to intervene. He postures himself as an intermediary, as someone who can um, bring some sort of negotiation. But one of the men said, are you going to strike me down in the same way that you struck the Egyptian? You see, what he thought was secret has become made known. And then he asked, these, uh, he asked this question in verse 14, who made you a prince and judge over us? And again, this is a foreshadow of exactly what Moses will be for Israel. He will be a prince. He will be a judge. Put in that position, not by his own will, not as the result of his own anger or passion, but because of God's design. He will be judge and ruler. And that, in turn, is a role that Jesus himself will play and will be referred to later in the New Testament. You see, so through this act of rash striking, Moses is being shaped as a rescuer. The second word I said, I said striking, the second one was shepherding. And in the same way, we see Moses being formed by this. This comes in sort of the, the second encounter. After Moses has fled out of Egypt and he goes to Midian, and Midian was kind of in the desert. It was across um, the, the Red Sea, or if you think about the, the Sinai Peninsula, it was on the, the east side of the Sinai Peninsula. That was probably wrong graphically based on you looking at me, but that's okay. So he goes to uh, Midian. And there in Midian, he encounters these seven daughters. If you were here last week, we saw in uh, Exodus 2, we were introduced to three daughters. Now we get seven more. All of these daughters at the beginning of Moses' life. And what we're told in, this, uh, in verse 17 is this, that the shepherds came and drove the daughters away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Do you hear that word? He saved them. This is intentional. We're being introduced to the life of Moses. What kind of man is this Moses? He's a man who saves those who are threatened. These daughters of Midian. He intervenes. Again, he's stepping in. He's acting as a mediator. He's showing himself to have the character of a rescuer. And this time, it's not through striking, it's through acting as a good shepherd. And that's intentional. That Moses is carrying out rescue by acting like a good shepherd. In the presence of bad shepherds who would chase off these daughters of Midian, 
disallow them, uh, keep them from watering their sheep, Moses intervenes. He helps them out. The flocks are watered. They're cared for. Moses is rescuing by shepherding. And we, we see this, it's sort of summarized for us in verse 19 as these daughters return home to their father, Ruel, or he's also known as Jethro. And they tell him what happens. And in verse 19, they said, an Egyptian, notice, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. They say, we were delivered, we were rescued, we were saved by this man. Moses' character is being built, and it's being built as a rescuer. Notice, too, that they say, uh, they, they talk about how Moses drew water for them. And again, if you were here last week, you know that Moses' name means to draw out. Another clue of who this Moses will be. He will be the one who draws water for the flocks of Midian, but he will also be the one who draws out the people of Israel, from their slavery in Egypt. All right, so Moses is being formed as a rescuer through striking, through shepherding, and thirdly, through sojourning. What do I mean by that? Well, kids, that's maybe a word you've never heard before, sojourning. What does that mean? It means to go to a foreign place. It means to go to a place that isn't your home. And we see that about Moses as early as verse 15, right? Because um, he strikes down this Egyptian and then the king of Egypt hears about it and he wants to kill Moses. And so Moses takes off. It says he fled from Egypt and he went to Midian. Moses is on the run. And what we're meant to see here as we're being introduced to who this man is is that Moses is an outsider. He's living in a land that isn't his home. He's living life on the run. And as the story goes on in Exodus 2, it's not just that he lives in Midian for a while, but he marries a daughter of Midian with the funny name Zipporah. That's a funny name. We're going to hear more about her later on, but the point is this, that Moses marries an outsider. His status is as an exile. And then chapter 2 ends with Moses having a son. And I want you to pay attention to what he names his son. It says in verse 22, she gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses is telling us himself through the name of his son how he sees himself. I don't belong. I don't belong in Egypt. I don't belong in Israel. I don't know where I belong. And that, friends, is part of what is shaping him as a rescuer, to be an outsider, to not entirely feel at home either in Egypt or in Israel or in Midian. It's as though Moses is having a little bit of an identity crisis. You know, again, if you were here last week, we read uh, the, the birth story of Moses. And in that story, he's placed uh, in a little basket as, a, as an infant. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down and recognizes him immediately in verse 6, and she says, oh, it's a Hebrew. Right? He's named as a Hebrew. But here, in the passage I read today in verse 19, the daughters, different daughters, this time the daughters of Midian look at Moses, 
And they say, oh, it's an Egyptian. You see, we're meant to see that Moses is stuck in between these two worlds. That's going to be central to his identity as a rescuer. Because when he pulls the people of Israel out of Egypt, for 40 years they're going to wander in the wilderness. They're going to have this promise of a land that is theirs, Israel, the promised land that they belong to. But for 40 years they'll take step after step and spend night after night wondering if that's really who they are. Wondering if they'll really make it to the promised land living this life caught in between. That shows us something about rescue, what rescue feels like, how it's shaped in us. To be rescued is to be a sojourner, caught between one life and a new promised life. So what I want you to understand here is that as we meet Moses, he is a man in between. He is a man who's stuck. He is a man who drank Israelite milk from his mother. He's a man who bears the mark of being an Israelite on his body through circumcision. But he's also a man who grew up in Egypt and learned the Egyptian language and learned the greatest wisdom of Egypt. And he's mistaken for an Egyptian as well. He'll be a sojourner. He'll be an outsider. He'll feel like an exile. All of this is meant to point to the fact that more than nationality, more than an ethnicity, Moses is a man shaped by rescue. You see, the whole point of Exodus 2 is to show us that God is fashioning Moses into an Exodus-shaped man, a rescue-shaped man. And all through Exodus 2, it's as though we're we're being dropped these little breadcrumbs that will show us who Moses will be, will indicate the work that he's going to do. And for us, where we sit today, it's not just showing us who Moses will be, it's showing us who Jesus will be. Because Jesus He is the true rescue-shaped man. He is the the truer and greater exodus, right? Moses is embodying all of these things. He's foreshadowing what he's going to do and leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. But it is Christ who does a greater work, as the children themselves told us today, of delivering us from sin, of dying on the cross so that we would be freed from the slavery to sin and shame and guilt. You see, Christ is the true rescue-shaped man. And he does it in the same way that Moses does. By striking, by shepherding, and by sojourning. Just quickly, let me explain what I mean. Christ strikes. He does not strike an Egyptian. He does not strike against Egypt. He strikes against Satan himself. The father of lies is struck down by Jesus Christ on the cross. A ruler greater than any Egyptian pharaoh is struck a death blow by Jesus Christ. Why? So that we would be rescued from our sin. Jesus too is, uh, rescues us by shepherding, doesn't he? John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who draws water out 
to feed his sheep, you and me. Jesus is the one who leads us beside still water, who, who uh, makes us lie down in green pasture. He is the good shepherd, the fulfillment of Psalm 23 and all that it offers about a good shepherd. He's the one who draws food and sustenance for us. And finally, Christ is the true rescue uh, by his sojourn. How is Jesus a foreigner? How is he an outsider? Well, in many ways, not the least of which is through his incarnation, that he, though the eternal son of God, leaves his heavenly home and comes here and wanders on the earth for 33 years to rescue us, to identify with us, to know our pain and our sorrow, our hurt and our sin, and to deliver us from that. And even Jesus himself had his own time in the wilderness. And even Jesus himself was rejected by those he came to save. Jesus was a man in between, caught between heaven and earth in order to rescue us from this sin-stained earth to heavenly glory. So Moses is a rescue-shaped man. Jesus is the embodiment and the fulfillment of the rescue-shaped man. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today? I think the application is that we would become rescue-shaped people ourselves. People shaped similarly by striking, by shepherding, and by sojourning. But it's a little different for us. For us to become rescue-shaped people doesn't mean we do the striking, or we do the shepherding, or we, well, we do the sojourning. But it means this. It means to accept the strike. How are we a rescue-shaped people? We accept the strike. The strike that God has made against sin. And the shocking thing about this strike, right? I said that Jesus came to do the striking and he, he, he made a strike against Satan. But the surprising, the, the wondrous, the mysterious fact of how God did it was that he struck his own son. God the Father struck God the Son so that we would be rescued. You see, God wasn't striking against a foreign power of Egypt. He was striking against his own Son. Accept that strike as your rescue. Do you know yourself as someone who's been rescued from sin? Have you turned to Jesus and, and accepted the work that he did on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be weighed down by guilt and shame anymore? Are you continually allowing yourself to be rescued by Jesus Christ? We say in our Who We Are statement on the back of the worship guide that we are continually restored by Christ, continually rescued by him. That's what it means to be a rescue-shaped person. So accept the strike that was made against Jesus on the cross. Also accept the shepherd. Accept that Jesus is the one who leads you to places of health and happiness. There are all these other voices, all these other shepherds, false shepherds calling out to you, saying, I'll lead you to the well. I will give you life. And they're all lying to you. Accept instead the voice of the good shepherd who knows the sheep. The shepherd who created your soul. The shepherd who longs for you to be brought home, reunited to him. Accept the shepherd. And finally, accept the sojourning. 
What do I mean by that? This is maybe the most important application for you. It means that you, uh, as you accept Jesus as your rescuer, it means that you're going to feel like an outsider. You're going to feel like a person caught in between. In the same way that Moses had this identity crisis, in the same way that Jesus Christ himself was caught between heaven and earth, if you are a rescue-shaped person, you are going to feel that way too. In many ways, this world, this earth, will not feel like home anymore. Because you have accepted that you are on a sojourn, you are on a journey, you are a pilgrim headed to heaven, your true home. It means you're going to be rejected at times. It means you're going to live in tension at times. I think it's one of the hardest things, at least for us, for our context, it's one of the hardest things about being a Christian. It's accepting the already not yet without losing hope. Already you've been rescued, and yet you haven't realized it fully. Already you've been saved, but you're not yet in glory. In living in that tension, holding on to hope, facing opposition, being called stupid or backward, or how could you ever believe that? Holding on to hope when doubts assail you. And you say, why am I, why do I keep showing up for church? Why am I reading the Bible? Is this stuff really true? No one else seems to believe it. No one else is living their lives according to the, what, what it says. Why should I? Because you are a person in between. You are a sojourner. Part of your rescue is accepting that reality. Let us be rescue-shaped people looking to Moses and the example that he gave, but much more so, of course, looking to Christ, our true rescuer, the one who has struck down for us, the one who is our good shepherd, and the one who walks with us on our path of sojourning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for these words that introduce us to Moses. We pray that we would come to understand more and more who he is, how you shaped him to be, and how everything that that he uh, pictured, that he foreshadowed, has been fulfilled for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, help us, young and old today, be rescue-shaped people, always coming back to the cross of Christ, the center of how you rescued us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.